0: And welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the nerd party, where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I am always John. And today we are going to be taking a look at the movies released on the week of July 1st, 1994. Although uh, there was a little bit of stuff going on on June 29th. You know, you got that Wednesday opening, get the whole in there first Kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh So yeah. Uh Five movies in total. Two on the 29th. Three on the first. So let's talk about the ones on the 29th first. Shall oh, we? do let's. Let's. I saw one of these in the movie theater. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, yes I did. So number 10 at the box office this week with $5.3 million and a 31% positive on Rotten Tomatoes is Little Big League. Is this the one that you saw in the theater? It is not the one I saw in the theater, no. Nor did I watch it this time. Did you? No, I was tempted because in the trailer you get to see, uh, well, I guess at the time it was the new Comiskey Park. Uh, But yeah, first of two movies at least this year, in in this month, that that, uh, feature... The White Sox, apparently, probably as the bad guys. Um, But this is a a movie about a kid whose grandfather, something along those lines, owns the Minnesota Twins, and then he dies, and the kid inherits the Twins. And since he's a kid, he's like, I'm going to be the manager, because why not? And this team, which is terrible, learns that the important part, about baseball is that you have fun and when they start having fun, that's when they start winning. So in a sense, it's like a kid friendly version of major league, I guess. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Do you think it's as bad as major league? (laughs)
1: Like now major league two, I did watch,
0: (laughs) but I hope it's not as bad as that. But um, Another movie where the White Sox are the bad guys. What is going on (laughs) with this year? It's
1: hard to live down the legacy of a Throne World Series, Mike. I'm just going to say that's that's sort of a
0: thing that sticks around with baseball fans for a century or two. Have you noticed that basically Major League Baseball has not acknowledged the fact that this is the hundred year anniversary of that? I can't, I can't
1: imagine why I can't imagine why they downplay that Mm -hmm. about one of the most, one of the, a a sporting swindle so famous that it got referenced
0: in Godfather part two. So if anyone uh, is unfamiliar with what happened with the 1919 Black Sox scandal, I highly recommend John Sayles' movie, Eight Men Out.
1: It's fantastic. the uh the the book is equally fantastic. Oh, there you go. So okay. if if yeah, and actually if if anybody out there has ever
0: wondered where the saying say it ain't so, Joe, comes from, it's from that scandal. And if any White Sox fans out there are really, really mad that the team completely sold out and renamed Comiskey Park US Cellular Field and now Guaranteed Rate Field, because Comiskey Park was pure and good, and righteous, and U.S. Cellular Field is just a cash grab. Um, Take a look at 8 Men Out, because you'll see that, um, well, for one thing, Charles Comiskey would have been the first person to sell the rights (laughs) to the name of the stadium in order to make some money. And also you'll see that he is a much more terrible person than U.S. Cellular or guaranteed rate, so... You know what? I call it the Arrow.
1: The Arrow. The Arrow. I like that. The Arrow. Yes, you told me about the Arrow. Yeah. The
0: Arrow. Yes. It's better than the initial name that people were coming up with, but well, we you won't know. say that on the air. Probably shouldn't. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that was a little big leak. Neither of us saw it. Sorry. Nope. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I wanted to watch it. Ran out of time. So... The other movie that came out on June 29th must have been the movie which uh, you saw. Sure was. I Love Trouble. Yes. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Made what came in at number five at the box office with $12.3 million, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, So, yeah, what's I Love Trouble? I Love Trouble
1: is uh, Nick Nolte and Julia Roberts playing... uh, dueling reporters I guess and they are you know trying to outscoop each other and then they wind up embroiled in a tale full of intrigue Um, and I remember not liking it too much and I remember it jumping out to me that there is a sequence in this movie where she's on the trail of something and you know that she's about to go find a dead body or something like that and she's going up the stairs and because the song was popular at the time Uh, Are you going to go my way is playing as she's walking up the stairs. And the specific line from that song, now tell me why we got to die, plays as she's like pushing the door open. And I remember even back then, a much younger Castle Junkie saying, well, that's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? Like it, it was just such a clumsily like there was no reason for that song to be in there except for marketing and for that specific line to coincide with that specific moment. And it's just such a ham hand. It's sort of like a I guess it sort of is an indicator of what's wrong with the movie as a whole. It's just I, I did not rewatch it. I remember it well enough to know that I saw it with a friend and we both walked, I saw it at only nine cinemas. I believe if memory serves, it was theater number two. And I remember walking out and saying, that really wasn't good, man. And it was, we were trying to find something positive to hold on to. But I think really inside we were questioning why we went to go see I Love Trouble in the first place.
0: I was curious about it. I mean, it seemed like somewhat of an intriguing present uh, premise. And I, I was also uh, curious about the the fact that um, it was written by Nancy Myers and Charles Shire and directed by Charles Shire. And I mean, the the interesting thing there, I guess, is that they are a, well, they were a husband and wife writing team. Mm-hmm. And I think he directed a lot of the movies like early on and then she directed started directing the movies, and then they apparently got divorced and stopped writing together, I guess. That would follow. And I, I mean, that that
1: kind of makes sense.
0: Well, what's interesting is I just saw a thing on Twitter just today that they are going to be at a screening of uh, their movie, Irreconcilable Differences. Uh, which Ironic. Is, yeah. And, and they're going to be talking, you know, they're going to be together to talk about this movie, which kind of... Interesting. So
1: time heal heals all wounds as do joint speaking fees. Mm-hmm. So yeah. There you go. There you go.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see it, but I was intrigued. There's a lot of movies here where I was like, uh like like if it were a lot of movies where if it were any other week, I would have been like um, I guess that's the movie to watch. But none of them were like, I have to see this. Well, I guess one was right. And the others were just kind of like, it's on the bubble. Uh, I should probably watch who is America instead. I would say that I would have revisited. I would have revisited.
1: I love trouble. If it had been like free on prime or something like that, I would have gone along with that. I would have said, okay, fine. I'll give it another spin. But that, Putting a price tag on it, uh, no, yeah. I can't. I can't do that in good conscience. I was not willing to. I, I disliked it enough, and I can remember it, and I can remember the experience. And I, you know, I, I really think its placement at the box office is just because Julia Roberts's star was still really strong back then. She, she could pull people into the theater.
0: Yeah, and even with that, I mean, twelve million dollars on a crowded holiday weekend i mean that's cool and all but it was still only number five at the box office you know i mean Mm -hmm. it's not not super duper great so
1: yeah but it's good you know i mean it's still good enough when you think about it i mean you know it's especially considering what was coming up on the weekend that had a lot
0: of star profile to it you know yeah it probably didn't cost a lot either so doubtful yeah okay So let's move on to the July 1st movies. Mm -hmm. Number nine at the box office with $5.8 million and a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. These movies are getting worse. (laughs) His Baby's Day Out. Mm -hmm. Uh, This looks like Home Alone. There's a lot of Home Alone clones. This Mm -hmm. is Home Alone, but with a lost infant Instead yeah. of Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. Did you see it?
1: No. Okay. No, but but, but, but so let, let's really throw it as Home Alone meets Look Who's Talking, that sort of vibe. I guess so. It
0: looks epically bad.
1: It epically does.
0: Epically bad. And yet I was still <laughs> tempted to watch it because it was directed by a guy named Patrick Reed Johnson. Who are you familiar with this guy?
1: I feel like I should be, but no. Uh,
0: he well, he's done. He's been around the industry forever. Um, I think he's done like a lot of stuff in terms of like special effects and everything like that. The thing that I, I know him from more than anything else is he directed Five Twenty Five Seventy Seven. You remember this movie that like still hasn't come out. Uh, yeah, obviously about Star Wars being released, right? Right. It's uh, a very autobiographical story, so much so that like he is the main character, and mm-hmm. uh, he was like a kid who was like really interested in movies or whatever, and somehow through a twist of fate, um, was basically introduced to the people at ILM back when they were making Star Wars. And they kind of like showed him around and everything and were like, here, check out the stuff that we're doing. And then he got to see an early cut of the movie back before it came out. And he basically came out of that saying, like, this is the best movie ever. And he started telling everyone who he knew, like, you have to see this movie, Star Wars. Can't wait. You know, it, it's the best movie ever. It's coming out on, you know, May 25th, 1977. He had oh, shirts wow. made up and everything. And everyone was just like, you are crazy. What this movie doesn't look good, blah, 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 you know. And then, you know, the movie came out and blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. But he also wrote Dragonheart and stuff. But they, oh, <laughs> I saw Dragonheart. I saw Dragonheart to um, but yeah he... <laughs> uh, but... <laughs>
1: see the thing is your reaction and mine seem pretty similar and um, I remember seeing it uh, in the theater with my friend and his mother and I like at the end of the movie I was about I was just starting to warm up sharing my opinion and apparently, his mom was so deeply affected. She was like really moved and like to the point of tears, like it had connected with her in some way. And uh-huh. I remember him like looking at me and giving me that motion, like, shut your mouth. And I was like, all right, I'll save it for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I just remember, like, you know, they, they made a big deal out of, like, the visual effects and everything mm-hmm. and how revolutionary they were. I remember, like, talking to the guy at the comic book store and he's like, I just saw this thing on TV where they were talking about, like, how revolutionary it is, that the, the way that they got the dragon to talk and stuff. And I'm like, okay. You know, and then I watched mm-hmm. it because I didn't have anything better to do. And, yeah. No, it's fine. 52577 I sh- saw on 52507 at the Star Wars Celebration 4
1: convention
0: mm-hmm. and it was uh really not that great. I mean everyone there oh. loved it. I was looking forward to this movie so much and I I did not like it. But Patrick Reed Johnson was there and he was Tossing out 52577 shirts to people in the audience, and I got one, and I, I think I still have it somewhere. It's a cool shirt, but.
1: but it still hasn't gotten an official release.
0: It basically debuted at Celebration and then never went anywhere after that. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's played here and there occasionally, but I'm pretty sure that it's never been officially released, huh? So, hmm. yeah. Oh, go figure go figure. I I'm, I'm very surprised by that. But whatever. Anyway. So so yeah, that's baby stay out. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh was, I was intrigued. I thought maybe I should watch it, but I didn't. Yeah. So, okay. So, number 4 at the box office uh with $13.2 million and a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. Highest rated so far of the week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blown away.
1: Yes, which I did not see in the movie theater. But I did see
0: on video.
1: And I revisited for this week.
0: Yeah, I revisited it. To, I didn't revisit it. I saw it for the first time. For the first time. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, I, want, you want to tell people what it's about?
1: Yes. Uh, Blown Away is the epic story of Tommy Lee Jones as an IRA bomber, uh, Irish Republican Army, who breaks out of prison and finds his way to crossing paths with Jeff Bridges, who is working on the Boston Police Bomb Disposal Unit. And apparently they have a shared past that Jeff Bridges has tried desperately to get away from. Um and much bombing ensues.
0: Yes. I was looking forward to this because I had never seen it, and the trailer looked somewhat interesting, but it looked very much like a 90s action movie, and it was directed by Stephen Hopkins, mm-hmm. who is a director that I'm pretty fond of, having directed Predator 2, mm-hmm. Judgment Night, and yep. basically, well... Exactly, I think half of uh, season one of twenty four.
1: And there was a there was another one that he did. Uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, but it, it was after Blown Away. It was a couple of years after Blown Away.
0: Well, there was but the, the Ghost in the Darkness or whatever it was. Nah,
1: that's not the, that was the one with Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer, right? And that one was not the one I was thinking of. That I was thinking of. Um, Are you um, thinking
0: of Lost in Space? No. Because he directed that.
1: I know he did, and I'm not holding it against
0: him. Well, he did Race, uh, which came out a few years ago. That was pretty good. Um, he also did uh, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. which That's is the
1: one. Movie. That's the yeah. one. Uh, Life and Death of Peter Sellers, starring Jeffrey Rush. I remember happening across it on cable or something. And I said it was very early on, and I said, oh, that, this looks kind of interesting. And I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was a a very clever and well-constructed biopic, like really engaging and did a lot of, you know, uh, breaking the fourth wall in a very interesting fashion to engage the audience. So I, I think that's probably the, my favorite
0: thing of his that he's done that I've seen. And also the first movie written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. The writers of the Captain America movies and Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Oh,
1: yes. Okay. There you go. Well, that explains it. There you go. Good script is where so many things start from. So I'm curious, though, because this is your first time encountering Blown Away. I will say, without giving away my reaction this time, the first time I saw Blown Away, I went in with very low expectations And was pleasantly surprised and said, oh, this is actually, I kind of dig this.
0: This is kind of neat. What was your reaction seeing it the first time? Um, My reaction was that it was pretty bad. Tommy Lee Jones' performance is absolutely insane. I don't know what's going on with Jeff Bridges' accent. True. And I think that it has a lot of similarities to a lot of other action movies of the time, but not in a good way. It reminded me a lot, I think, well, obviously because of all the IRA stuff of like Patriot games, but Mm -hmm. like without like the dramatic weight behind it. Um, I will say that there's an interesting thing, which which is going on here in the 90s, right? Where it's like you have the big action movies and it's like they can't they don't have the technology for superhero stuff, you know, like the idea of an X-Men movie was crazy. How could yeah. you do all that in a movie in the 90s? The idea of a Transformers movie was not at all feasible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that they could do and did do really well is blow stuff up.
1: Yes, they did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what this movie does, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, You know, and revisiting it, I was surprised by how much less I liked it. With this movie, I think what's extremely frustrating is there's consistently this sense of it's about to get going. Like you're going through it and it's just constantly feeling like, okay, it's going to figure it out in the next scene. Okay, it's it's putting stuff together. And that's sort of like what keeps you going with it. Like it has that tense scene where, you know, the wife comes home and she's, you know, opening the door and she's turning on the light and it shows the light bulb. Heating up, and you're kind of like, oh, oh, and it's like toying with you that way. And and you're like, okay, maybe this, okay, no, it didn't figure it out. Okay, it's still going on. And I think that it gets all the way to that ending where there's finally an interesting scene between Tommy Lee Jones and Jeff Bridges. And it has a logical end point for the movie, but then it just keeps going. And I just thought it was the.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I pretty much agree. The, the, the I mean, the, the other thing about it was, which I found to be kind of interesting. I was reading about this on on the IMDb. Uh, apparently, this was originally supposed to come out in April, mm. but the studio thought that they had a big hit on their hands, Oops. so they pushed it back to July Fourth of July weekend because they thought it was going to be mm-hmm. a, a big blockbuster.
1: Well, blown away. Everybody wants to watch stuff blew up on uh, 4th of July, right?
0: So. Yeah, but I guess, you know, speed stole its thunder. and But I, I, do want, I do want to say, though, like Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, he's
1: trying to be zanier in this. But the real, the real thing that just immediately I have trouble getting past is that wig that he has on early. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to give him that long hair wig. None at all. It was just, it's, it's one of those tired tropes of like, well, how do we show that he's been in prison for a while? Obviously, he stopped cutting his hair. Yeah.
0: And it's just like, eh. It's, it's weird. I mean, he had just won the Oscar for mm-hmm. The Fugitive. And then he does stuff like this. The following year is Batman Forever, you mm-hmm. know? And then, and then, hey, then, you know, just a couple of years after that. U.S. Marshals, returning to his Academy Award-winning performance. Yeah, where the very first time you see him, he's dressed in a giant chicken suit. I mean, it's it's just some weird choices that that guy makes. You know? Yeah, and and it's a it's unfortunate
1: because he, I mean, The Fugitive was really his reintroduction to audiences. Like, it, yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know, like he had been around for a while and he'd been in some decent movies before that. But The Fugitive is like introduced him to a new generation and, you know, a whole new host of film goers. And then I I mean, the the thing that I thought was weird about Blown Away is there there are scenes where while I was watching them, it suddenly seemed like they were inserts or reshoots because they existed. Like uh, the first time Jeff Bridges shows up to the back door, he shows up at the um, the the birthday party. To the little girl and you can tell that it's not daylight like you have all of these outdoor shots in the sun of him riding his motorcycle uh getting there and then he walks in through the gate and they're very careful never to really show too much above the fence and all of the shots are like really tight and the light suddenly takes this very white quality to it and it's like this this does not feel like a real place that you exist right now it felt like there were certain scenes like that where they suddenly either decided to compress or rewrite or something like that along the way.
0: Well, but, you know, the the, the top movie released this week, it was the most critically acclaimed movie of the week. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It has like uh, 40-something percent rate. No, uh, 35. Oh, 35. I overestimated. Oops. <laughs> Uh, Number three at the box office, making $14.6 million, The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin, directed by Russell Mulcahy, Highlander fame. Correct. Also Highlander
1: 2 fame. I'll throw that one out there, too.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I believe he still holds the record for having directed the most music videos in history. Yeah, probably. Probably. He directed Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. He directed River of Dreams by Billy Joel. And he directed, like, every single video by uh, Duran Duran. Well, Yeah. He's also the guy who uh, said that uh, he would have no money to shoot his music videos. So he put black bars on the top and bottom ah, yes. to make them widescreen to give them added production value. Yeah. So innovator.
1: Slick, very slick.
0: Yeah. You know it was about the magic tricks. Yep, Inherent yep. in cinema. Yeah. So the shadow, uh, mm-hmm. did you see this in the theater? I did. I yeah. did. I was
1: all sorts of excited for it. This is, I would say in terms of the trend away from the more serious, I mean, yeah, Batman in 89 comes out, right? Sam Raimi takes a shot at a slightly more comical but dark thing with Darkman. And but you start to see, you know, superhero movie, you know, vibes start to come in. Batman Returns goes in a very weird direction with everything. The Shadow is the first one I can recall that really st- started like started pointing the way toward the Joel Schumacher way of doing things because you had the phantom coming up shortly afterward, the stuff where it was, they didn't get that. The reason that the first Batman was such a hit was because it took a beloved property that was a kid's, I mean, comic books are kids things. Okay. At, but it grew it up and it said, okay, well, what if this was in the real world and the shadow is still in that realm of purposely a little campy with some things i enjoyed it i don't think it's a great film but i enjoyed it i've enjoyed it the other times that i've watched it alec baldwin's obviously having a lot of fun there are some very slick moments of comedy in it so you know i thought i thought it was fun it's not it's not terribly impactful but eh, it was a fun movie it wasn't great but it was good did you revisit it for this or not? I did not. I did yeah. not have time. I would probably revisit it again. I just, you know, I, it, it's definitely something where it's like, check your brain at the door and just have a silly time. And it's it's less a movie than an homage to, uh, you know, the the old radio drama character. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, Lamont Cranston, The Shadow, he was more popular than Batman back during the radio drama days. You know, like... My dad loved listening to The Shadow and, and all of that old stuff. You know, so, eh, you know, it's all right. It's good.
0: Yeah, I, apparently my dad was a big Shadow fan too because uh when I first got my my very first laserdisc player, we went to Coconut's to rent a laserdisc and this was the very first laserdisc that I rented. Mm-hmm. And brought it home and my dad, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was like me and my dad at home alone. And, you know, so we were trying to pick out a movie, you know, that he would like, and he's like, oh, The Shadow, let's do that. That looks good, you know? And, yeah, I mean, I I remember thinking it was okay, but at the same time, you know, looking back on that now, like any movie that was at all interesting to me on even like the the teeny-tiniest level... I would obsess over, watch a couple times, buy, you know, a- anything like that. Like some of the stuff that I like rewatched and everything. I think about it now, and I'm like, why was I so obsessed with a movie like that? Just because I thought it was okay, and I never felt the need to do that with The Shadow. So I have a feeling that if I were to watch it now, I'd be like, this movie's garbage. But it's it's definitely not garbage.
1: It's it's fun. It's it's a trifle. Uh, And the thing is, it's interesting to me because there are so many characters that have these repeated renaissances and reboots and remakes and all of that stuff. The Shadow is a fascinating character because his whole thing is he doesn't put on a costume. He is the costume. Like, the, he has mental powers that basically screw with the way people see him. So, like, that's a pretty cool angle. You know, like, y- you've got these great mental powers that can influence stuff. And that, you know, and that comes into play in the movie, too, where, like, there's a building that nobody can see because, you know, the bad guy's got mental powers that's just casting a spell on everything. And it's like, that's a lot of fun. That's sort of a, that's sort of a neat angle to go with everything.
0: Yeah, this is another one that I did want to revisit this week, but I just couldn't get around to. So I decided to pass on it, do to Blown Away instead. I guess yeah. maybe that's the movie to watch. I mean, it doesn't sound like anything else is really uh, any better, right?
1: Yeah, it, it's a surprisingly flat week for movies being, you know, in July. But the, but the thing, just as a, as a final, like, sort of like tie-in to like stuff that's going on now where they're like, oh, Men in Black 2 two men in black international underperformed dark Phoenix Phoenix underperformed this underperformed that underperformed I mean we're in summer in 1994 right now and we've got one of those weekends right here where a ton of movies come out and all of them are not embraced by critics and they basically do eh. and so the biggest movie of the week is just speed again right because it just there there weren't too many other options.
0: I think Lion King at this point was... Oh, right. Lion King. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, next week we have what will come to be known by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences as the best movie of the year, Forrest Gump, which was released on July 6th. And then... Another couple movies, which were released on July 8th, including Sex, Drugs, and Democracy, and Go Fish. So, yeah, quite a week to look forward to next week.
1: I, I, guarantee, I guarantee you, most everybody who was above the age of, like, three in 1994 saw Forrest Gump, or has seen it by this point.
0: Yeah, that's probably accurate. Probably accurate. Yep. So, until next week... John, where can people find you on the internet? Well, gosh, you can find me
1: as Kessel Junkie. Uh, I'm lurking a little more frequently on Twitter. uh, And you can find me on Letterboxd and Goodreads. And you can find me over on KesselJunkie.com. I'll be starting to write again soon there. And here on the network, you can find me co-hosting the Nerd Party's Star Wars-focused show, Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. So be sure to check that out. Where can people find you, Mike?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxed at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on com doing a show called Film Damage. And that's about it right now. Got some stuff in the works, but not quite ready yet. So, you know, th- th- this is this is the week where I was watching Laserdiscs instead of rewinding things, right? With the shadow. But, <laughs> um, I mean, w- would you still say Be Kind Rewind? Um, be careful don't smudge there you go